Are you a small business owner looking to scale your business and your profits? Are you looking for strategies to find balance in your life as an entrepreneur? Stay tuned while Craig Staley, founder of HG Site Design, a website design and marketing agency, shares strategies from successful small business owners, authors, and experts on how to do just that. Let's join Craig as he explores how we can all take our businesses to the next level on the Small Business School Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Small Business School Podcast. My guest today is Shannon Lee. She's the Director of Coaching for Win Without Pitching. Win Without Pitching is a book that I read back in August. I really enjoyed it. So having Shannon on was a a great opportunity for me to ask some more questions and and get some more insight on the book. I think if, you know, especially if you are a creative business looking to improve your positioning and your sales, definitely a book you should pick up. Today, we kind of talk about why pitching your services is bad and and what some of the advantages of specializing when it comes to winning new businesses. There's a whole lot more that we talk about, and Shannon has a, a wealth of knowledge on the subject. So should just get right to it. And without further ado, my guest today, Shannon Lee. All right. I'd like to welcome my next guest. It is Shannon Lee. She is the Director of Coaching with Win Without Pitching. How are you today, Shannon? I'm good. How are you doing today, Craig? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate you coming on. Can you first give the listeners a little bit of your your background? Sure. So I am the Director of Coaching at Win Without Pitching today, but what got me here was a little bit of a meandering path. And I started out thinking I wanted to be an ambassador to a foreign country. Oh, so wow. I studied yeah, I studied Spanish and international business and actually went to Argentina and lived and worked for a while, but found my way back home and landed in a public relations role for Cinnabon, world famous cinnamon rolls. Have you ever had one of those? Yeah. And just really learned a lot about PR in that consumer setting and crisis communication and just kept moving into those roles on the corporate side, investor relations, marketing. And then one day decided I was done with corporate America and had an offer to go to work for a brand agency in Seattle and do their sales and marketing. And I didn't really know what it meant at the time, but found out it was my sweet spot. And that is where I also met Blair Enns, the founder of Win Without Pitching, who we had hired when I was at that firm to come and help us revamp the way that we sold. And so it was from there that that relationship began. And then Blair asked me to come on board as a coach about six years ago. So wow, that's awesome. it's been an evolution of yeah, selling and now coaching how to sell. That's great. So can you give a quick background to the listeners that maybe an overview of, of the book, When Without Pitching, and then its, its author, Blair Ends? Sure. Yeah. So Win Without Pitching is a company focused on sales training for creative professionals. And Blair started the company a couple decades ago, just really believing that that creative professional was somebody who had the ability to see and to solve problems very differently um, than others in the world, different than advertising agencies, for example, and really wanted to provide a space for them to feel that they could be that expert at the table. And 
charge what they're worth for the value that they create. And so Win Without Pitching was born in the service of really helping that creative professional who maybe isn't so great at the business side of the equation to get grounded and and just do a better job for themselves running their business. That's great. Yeah, I was telling you uh, off air, you know, I was excited about the opportunity to have you on because I I listened to the book, I think back in early August of, of 2020, one of my podcast guests, Josh Boone had recommended the book to me. And so I listened to it. It was a great book. It, it, you know, it definitely led me in some, some different directions with my own business. You know, I was, it was interesting to find out too, that as I was re-reviewing the, the book just a couple nights ago, prepping for the interview that you actually voiced the audio edition. So I, I didn't realize that until a couple couple days ago. So that's awesome. Yeah, that was a really amazing project to be able to do because that book really changed my life when I was selling on the agency side of the equation. And it just is a book, it sits on my desk to this day. I pick it up and look at it once a week. And to be able to have a voiceover project for something so meaningful is just pretty cool. It's interesting that you mentioned picking it up and, and reviewing it. I'm glad that I did that. You know, it's, it's actually been too long. And, and I thought to myself the other night, I need to listen to this, you know, more like, you know, maybe not all the way through, but review it maybe once a month to, you know, kind of level set. So that definitely is a good idea. Kind of getting into things. Why would you say, or why would the book say, why does your company say, pitching your services is bad? And and what is the alternative of pitching your services? Yeah. Pitching your services puts you in that vendor role, which is a really dismal place to exist. When you're in the vendor role, you are kind of lining up everything you have to offer and there's song and dance and you go into convince mode and you mm-hmm. just have no power in the sale to really be able to demonstrate your expertise and really explain why you can create value for a client coming to you with a certain challenge. And so we've flipped it on its head. We really believe that anybody who is in this creative services profession and and any profession that sells ideas or has a more long-term consultative sell should show up like an expert practitioner and should really lead in the sale, which then sets you up to lead in the engagement because you're there to solve a unique challenge that you're uniquely suited to to solve and you're creating in many cases a, a great amount of value for your client and somebody who is in that role needs to have the space and the ability to lead and to be seen as the expert practitioner. So what does that look like pitching versus just having a conversation with leading them down the path of realizing that you know you're you're an expert and and you're going to be the one that's going to take them to the next level and whatever that might be whether it's design or marketing Mm -hmm. or something else? It's a journey. That's the best place to kind of start. It's a journey that takes time because you have to make decisions about how you're going to position yourself in the market. We believe you really must be specialized and really be able to go deep into a niche and understand a lot about the nuance of it in order to be seen as meaningfully different against your competitors. And like you said, it's about conversations instead of presentations. It's about in the early part of a sale, for example, the qualifying conversation, really putting the attention on that prospect to be and understanding their wants beyond their needs and vetting to see if there's a fit and making decisions. Should we keep talking or should we say, hey, it's been great to get to know each other, but this time around, it's just not a fit. And then it's really beginning to understand how to price based on value and bring different pricing strategies to bear so that 
you're really understanding how are we going to measure the success? What are the metrics are we going to use? Is that a value? What kind of value would you assign to it? And really then flipping that whole sales cycle. So by the time you get to the closing meeting, you're not pitching and and doing that song and dance. You're facilitating an option from the proposal that you've put together. So it's it's getting you in that expert practitioner seat every step of the journey. You make a great point about vetting. And I know this is something I... I did not do early on. It was like, I'll just take anything. Yeah. Uh, but but really, you have to make sure it's a fit for you because you'll learn it the hard way if you don't. If you don't, if your gut's telling you that this client's probably not the right fit for me, I don't know if I can provide them the value they're looking for, or I don't know if we'll work well together. Those those things can cause problems down the road. So it, it shouldn't be one-sided for sure. So you talk about specializing, but what would you say is the advantage of specializing when it comes to winning new business? Well, there are a lot of benefits to specialization. And I think the first one is it really helps you to understand why you're there. It's foundational. It's really fundamental business strategy. And if you have a team, it helps them to understand why are we showing up each day? Who do we help and how? And what's the mission we won't ever sacrifice? And it helps targeting your targeting exercise should be much easier if you're well-positioned because you know who you want to go after and begin a conversation with, which then helps your marketing plan because you're putting very specific content in front of a very specific audience. And we also see that it lowers cost of sale because you're spending less time in conversations if you know they're not the right fit. You're not over-investing in the sale. And the one that I love is it strengthens your personal balance sheet. It gives you confidence to show up and be that leader and be that expert and feel you deserve to be there in the first place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you kind of become laser focused rather than, you know, spray and pray marketing. You know, you're right. you're you're after kind of a, a big swath of of people. Maybe it's it's one specific type of organization that you, that you're after. And then if that's who you do the most business with, in fact, I had a guy great example of this, Jason Call, who has a web design agency. He, I think he early on, he was kind of the, you know, just do it all for everybody. And then he started doing some work with some handymen. And next thing you know, like there's Facebook groups out there that say, Hey, I need a website. Who should I go to? And they all say, Oh, Jason Call, he's the website handyman guy. He builds websites for handymen. And now he's he's the guy if you're a handyman. So it kind of all of a sudden snowballs and turns into your marketing's kind of done for you by your customers in that case. Yeah. And that's such a cool example. And, and I did want to mention, you said something a little earlier about when you started out, you did just anything, right? You wanted to take yeah. any kind of work and that's actually okay. When you're starting out, you should be trying a bunch of stuff to figure out like, what do I really like and really get the experience before you decide to specialize. So I just wanted to point that out that like, that's okay as well. That's part of the journey. That's a that's a good point too. So there's two quotes in the book that I, I really like, and I actually have probably been guilty of re-quoting one of them on the podcast without attribution. Oh, I didn't, don't worry. But <laughs> the first one, we'll go over this one if, if you can kind of talk through what it what it means to you. But mm-hmm. be and this is probably not an exact quote, but the the idea of being a farmer, not a hunter. Yeah. So this begins to speak to motivational makeup to one degree. When you're selling the win without pitching way, the motivator should be that of somebody who wants to challenge 
and who wants to really get out there and find the right kind of fit and begin a conversation to explore what's really going on there. Does it make sense for us to keep talking? But the key point is this idea of being the challenger in the sale. And that it comes from the challenger sale, the book, the challenger sale, Mm. because you're, you're actually creating healthy tension in the sale when you are in that mindset of, well, let me question that. Is the challenge you think you have the actual challenge or why do you think the price should be the price or why us? So let me politely push back on you, Miss Client, all throughout the process to really see if that client's going to demonstrate the behavior that allows you to lead and really let you be that expert. And so that's part of it. The other piece of it is those who sometimes are in that hunter versus farmer mindset have a motivator that sees them just wanting to win or being really competitive and they'll do whatever they need to do to close the sale, which means they go into convince mode and can make bad decisions for the firm. And so we're really looking for that mindset that somebody is is confident being the challenger and confident being patient like a farmer would be <laughs> in a long-term sales cycle, not feeling like it needs to be rushed, but really understanding, is this the right fit and how might we solve your problems? That's a, a great explanation of that. The other one I actually noticed reviewing the other day, I didn't catch it the first time, but if we are pomegranates, we will resist the process that compares apples to apples. What does that mean? It means that the power you have in the sale resides in your ability to differentiate yourself. Are you seen as meaningfully different? Are you seen as the pomegranate or are you really the apples to apples comparison against all the other generalist firms that are out there competing? That's where your power lies. It also is where the client's power lies. A lot of people think the client's power lies in their ability to spend or their money, Mm. their budget, but it's not. It's in their choice. It's their ability to choose. And if they don't see you as meaningfully different, they'll just move on to the next firm. Mm -hmm. And so you want to stand out. You want to be different. You want to be disruptive. You want to be okay playing the provocateur. Interesting. So this is this is kind of back to the the handyman example. You have Jason who's probably done hundreds of websites for handymen, and then you have other website design firms that have maybe done one or two, but they've also done a hundred websites for other people. They're kind of a generalist. That kind of example, he he probably holds a little more worth in the conversation with another handyman potential client. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So. Early in my web design business, you know, I struggled to charge what I was worth. And I think to your earlier example, I think early on, as you're trying to gain some experience and some some background for your business, I think it might be okay. But I think there's a point where you obviously need to make that step and, and know what you're worth and charge what you're worth. But I think it's it's tough to make that transition, especially if you start to become known as hey, he'll build you a cheap website and it'll look great. You know, you're kind of the cheap website guy. You get, you get kind of stuck or whatever your service is. So how do, you, how do you go from that to actually charging what you're worth? So this is such a good question and, and I can go so deep down a rabbit hole and I'm going to be just very <laughs> careful to, <laughs> to not do that. The first thing that, that needs to happen is you need to have the ability to really price the client and not the job. That is one of the rules of pricing creativity, which is Blair's uh, second book. And what this means is 
you have to become good at sussing out what is valuable to the client Mm. and charging them accordingly and not giving every client first class service who doesn't want it or need it. And it all then stems back to this idea of conversations instead of presentations, because it takes conversations to really figure out what is your desired future state in this client? What do you want beyond what you think you need? If you need a website, why? Right. So there's a line of questioning to understand what does happiness look like three years from today? What kind of funds have you allocated for the initiative and why? If we get into a conversation around value, when will we know if we're successful and what might we measure? And what is that worth to the organization and what should we charge as a result? So there's a series of these conversations that bring some science to the art of pricing also, but it is a blend of art and science. And so there's got to be a path to understanding and a path to uncovering what the client values and then assigning the budget or the investment based on that. And so that's why it's price the client, not the job, one client at a time. It's also, as we've been talking about, being seen as meaningfully different. So you're eliminating the choices out there that they have to go to. And then I think it's your confidence, honestly. Like you have to bring confidence to these conversations. And that is half the battle sometimes to be able to just say, $5,000 and to as comfortably be able to say $5 million. doesn't matter. They're the same thing if the client values whatever they value, right? So those are some things that are kind of tied up in how you begin to explore how to charge more and how to be okay with it. Mm -hmm. And I, I assume that some of it obviously comes down to positioning your business. You're not going to probably get $5 million from Joe's pizza shop down the street, you know, versus Domino's or something. So I mean, you have to be starting off with that in mind of what, who you're targeting as well, probably. That's right. Exactly. That is the price, the client, not the job because Domino's pizza, you're going to charge more because you're going to create more value for them than Joe's pizza. Right. So it has to be priced accordingly. Yeah. In some cases, we'll use logo design as, as maybe the, the case creating a logo design for Domino's pizza, although there may be more red tape is probably no, not much more time than creating a new logo for, for Joe's pizza. But you're right. You can probably get a thousand X for that logo versus Joe's pizza. That's right. Because what that logo represents to the business and any changes that you make that could cause confusion about that Domino's pizza logo are pretty substantial for a business of that size. Okay. Well, let's transition a little bit and kind of maybe talk about off the book, but maybe talk more about you and some of your experiences. What has been the biggest challenge that you've faced in business personally and and how did you overcome it? I will say it's been this last year in the pandemic is is probably the most recent thing that comes to mind simply because of what it was for all of us out there. And I think that what I learned from it was just to continue to trust in my ability and in win without pitching's ability as a business to respond and adapt and bring empathy to all sides of the equation. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be a pandemic sized disaster, you know, to have those kind of lessons come true and, and be brought to bear. And so I think that it's, how you respond in a crisis, I guess, is how to sum that that up and to remember to just move with speed if need be, but to also slow things down and not let fear rule the day. Believe that that you can win. And then I think of another time where 
I wasn't in the right role. I wasn't in the right company and I got fired. And that was the best thing that could have ever happened, even though it was a huge hit to the ego. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and goofing up is okay. As long as you're learning from it and moving forward, but it shouldn't wreck you or define you. It should empower you, frankly. That's great advice. Who do you consider a mentor and what would you say is the most important lesson they've taught you? Blair is, a, is an important mentor to me, the founder of Win Without Pitching. And his lesson to me has really been all about this ability to have an abundance mindset. Mm. That also comes from Seth Godin. And I did the Alt MBA with Seth Godin. And that is the, the work that you do there too, is how you choose to frame things and how you choose to show up in the world with an abundance mindset and be magnanimous and be generous just gets you so very far in life. And so it helps me face hard days. It helps me face hard challenges. So that's a choice we all get to make. And he's been a great mentor around that for me. That's great. So before we get to the last question, where can our listeners find out more about the book, about the business, all of that? You can go to winwithoutpitching.com. That's okay. the best place. Yeah. And Very simple. lots of great content on there. Thought leadership, the books are there. We also have a YouTube channel. People can ask a question on our YouTube channel and we'll respond. So everything's there. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll link all that good stuff in the show notes. Last question. One we ask everybody, if you could hop into a time machine and go back to the year that you started as the director of coaching for win without pitching, what advice would you give your past self? Honestly, it's, trust my gut. I knew more than I thought I knew at that time. It's one of our principles that win without pitching to like speak up sooner than later and trust your gut. And it's so true. I think most of us out there have pretty darn good instincts. And the sooner we're okay, just like getting the words out of our mouth, if we don't agree with something, or we have a question about something, or we're not certain, the better. So trust your gut. That's good advice. I think, you know, especially as, as small business owners, a lot of times we're we're in our heads constantly wondering if the decision was right or if we were going down the right path or if the old path was the best way. And, and sometimes your gut is, is the best instinct to follow. Yeah, you're right. It's the biggest thing you can do to yourself, that what if game. What if this? Mm-hmm. What if that? It doesn't matter. Just move forward. Take action. Yep. All right. Well, Shannon, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Really enjoy the book myself and and plan to uh, start listening to it more often for sure. Getting to listen to you more often. So, (laughs) Thank you, Craig. Thank you so much. It's been so fun to be with you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Small Business School Podcast. If you like what you heard, please share it and leave a review. It would mean the world to us. If you are a small business owner or looking to start a business, join the Small Business School Facebook group. It's a private community of people focused on helping each other take their businesses to the next level. To learn more about our guest today or to be a feature guest on the Small Business School, go to craigstaley.com forward slash podcast for more info.